Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Now I'm just going to read uh, several verses from the book of Acts here, uh, uh, particularly Acts chapter 7, just uh, by way of uh, getting our thoughts into uh, adjustment here. How's the sound at the moment? Is that all right? Is it too loud? Okay. All right, Acts chapter 7, and I'll pick up in um, verse 11. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and, and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, everybody say second time. At the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindle, uh, kindred was made known unto Joseph. Now I want you to go way down to the end of the chapter, verse 54, at the close of uh, Stephen's apology, as it's referred to. Acts 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now in our session tonight, we just want to touch again on the high spots of, uh, of uh, chapter 7, a little bit of chapter 6 where we left off. And if you're taking down notes, I just want, to take, I want you to take down this outline that we'll work through and a little bit of alliteration here. So first of all, under A, we have the man, Stephen. And then under B, we have the message, Acts chapter 6, verse 10 to 15. And then number C, we have the method, his method of, uh, of uh, defense or apologies is referred to before the council. And then number D, the martyr. So the man, the message, the method, the martyr. All right, now let's just uh, note a few comments from Acts chapter 6 as we uh, just touch on the high spots of this chapter. Now in Acts chapter 6 we saw in our last session how the, uh, the church is growing, it's multiplying here, and how the disciples, the twelve, particularly the twelve apostles, called the disciples together and said that we should not leave the word of God and serve tables. And the end result was that they chose out of their company seven men who had certain qualifications, full of the Holy Spirit, honest report, wisdom, and they were appointed over that business, and uh, they gave themselves continue the prayer and the ministry of the word. And then we see that the names were listed, seven men that were chosen to be, as we believe, uh, the first deacons, uh, looking after the daily administration, and they were brought before the apostles, uh, and then they prayed and laid hands on them. Now, 
One of the deacons that is mentioned here is in verse 5 of chapter 6. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then we have Philip. Now, as I said in our last session, Acts chapter 7 particularly picks up the, the deacon uh, Stephen. And then Acts chapter 8 picks up the Stephen, uh, the, uh, the deacon, pardon me, Philip. So that's the sequence of thought here. So Acts chapter 7 is Stephen. Acts chapter 8 concerns Philip, Stephen and Philip. Uh, we have no mention of the rest of the deacons here, but these two, uh, out of them, what they developed into quite evident. One becomes the first martyr in the church. Now, look what happens in verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith, so we're looking at the man now here, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles amongst the people. So, as far as the man is concerned, listen to some of the qualifications we picked up here. He, uh, he was chosen from among the people. He was a man of honest report. He was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Uh, he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. Pretty good deacon to have around, wouldn't you think? That's the picture we have here. And... Uh, and as we go through the message here, they were unable to resist the wisdom by which he spoke. And he was a man as a deacon who was saturated in the word of God. As we get, when we get to his message, the whole message is on the word here. Now in verse 9, there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia uh, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So there was something going on here. Stephen's, though it's in the transitional period into the New Testament church, uh, he's somewhere near a synagogue there, and uh, there comes a lot of disputation. And you'll notice further qualifications of the man, Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. You may remember that in the Gospels, when Jesus said to the apostles, he said, I'm going to send you forth and uh, depend upon the Holy Spirit, because he said, I will give you a mouth, and I'll give you wisdom to speak the things that you need to when you're brought before a council or before uh, false witnesses or anything like that. So here this is happening here. And then we're told in verse 11, Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people. How many are seeing, you see, that the church can't be destroyed from, from uh, without the enemy tried from within, but now the Lord's cleansed the church, and now we're getting further opposition. Now it's religious opposition. That religious spirit, uh, uh, the communists said religion is the opium of the people, but a religious spirit is one of the... In fact, I believe that sectarianism and a religious spirit is, is, it really borders on being an evil spirit because it's murdered the saints through history, burned Bibles and everything like that. And here are the religious people. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. So those who were in eldership, those who were hermeneuticians, theologians of that day, and they, they get hold of Stephen, bring him before the council, and they violate the very scriptures that they're professing to uphold. Because in verse 13, they set up false witnesses, exactly the same as they did concerning Jesus. They brought in false witnesses. And, and back in the Old Testament on the law of witness, it says, um, if any false witnesses arise and testify falsely against an innocent man, then what they wanted to do the, to the innocent man was to be done to them. 
And we find the same thing. In fact, as we study the man here, just uh, in brief, we find that Stephen is so much like Jesus, has that spirit of Christ upon him. So uh, Jesus is brought before the council with the elders and the scribes and the people. False witnesses are brought to testify against Jesus, misquoting his words, misinterpreting his words. And here the same thing happens with Stephen. And uh, they said in verse 13, they set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. So they, these are the accusations and see they would remember at least some of them that Jesus said the time was coming when the temple would be destroyed and the, the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed and Jewry would be scattered to the four winds. And so they're no doubt hearing these things and the disciples remember the word of Jesus. Now look what happened in verse 15 as Stephen is standing before the council and listening to these false accusations, all that sat in the council, look, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Who uh, else in the Bible had their face shine? Moses on the Mount of Trent, uh, on the uh, Mount on Mount Sinai, coming down from the Mount, his face shone. And uh, he had to put a veil upon his face because people could not look upon the face of Moses. Actually, we've got no record that that veil on his face was ever taken away, except when he went into the presence of the Lord. We're told that when Moses went to speak with God, he took away the veil and spoke to God face to face. But when he came before the people, the veil was on his face. But uh, Paul takes that whole thought up and says that when we come to Jesus, we have a greater glory because it's not the glory on the face of Moses that was done away and there was a veil, but the veil has been done away and now we can behold Jesus face to face. And what happens to us? We are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord as we behold the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. So old covenant mediator, his face shone, new covenant mediator. And then Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face shone like the sun. It was actually light coming from within his own body. And uh, I remember talking to Brother Offler years ago, many years ago, some of you may have heard of him. And he said to me, he said, Kevin, he said, the, the Lord showed me that the day is coming before Jesus comes back again that when God deals with sin in the church, that our bodies and our face are going to glow like Jesus' body did on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, the only thing that stops... How many have got Christ in you, the hope of glory? The only thing that stops Christ in us, the hope of glory, radiating through our physical being, is the veil of this flesh that has to be rent because sin is still in the veil of this flesh. Now here is Stephen sitting before the council, the Sanhedrin, and all these false witnesses, and he's standing there, his face begins to shine like the face of an angel. They still didn't listen. They still didn't accept that divine testimony. Because this man's having a testimony of his face shining as an angel, as Moses, as Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So when we look at the man, we have all these qualifications, a deacon, a servant, spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, honest report, full of wisdom, full of faith and power, and uh, doing wonders, and uh, the wisdom and the spirit of the Lord. Now, 
Let's look at the message here because it's actually uh, uh, the longest chapter probably in the book of Acts as far as I know. And we have about 60 verses in the chapter. In his message, we have at least 53 verses. Now I want you to listen to his message uh, because I'm going to give you the few verses we read. You're going to pick up a, 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 a very interesting key uh, verse in this uh, chapter. Now let's look at the pro progression because remember there's no New Testament and so uh, Stephen is sort of giving a panoramic of their history. Now I want you to, if you're taking down notes, just uh, listen to what I'm doing here. First of all, he begins in verses 2 through to 7. So he starts off with uh, Abraham. Let's get something brighter here. He starts off with Abraham. Now he goes way back. I want you to notice the progression in his, uh, in his homily here, his, uh, his defense before the council, because it's very systematic. And the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see in due time here, the Holy Spirit gives him a key, a key thought that is underlying the whole of his message here. So just keep that in mind as we proceed here. So in verses uh, 2 through to 7, he begins with Abraham, who is the father of the chosen nation. Abraham, called out of Mesopotamia, the God of glory, appeared unto the father Abraham. Now, I don't know how they're standing this because, you know, if you, if, say my face started to shine like an angel. Now, I know some of you know I'm an angel with a broken wing and all that, but what would you do? And as his face is shining like the face of an angel, bright, light shining from within, and he's giving this uh, prophetic panorama of their history, and right about the middle of the message, he drops in this key thing, which is an underlying thing, the Holy Spirit because he's speaking by the wisdom and spirit of God, and there's an underlying thing that's coming through, as we'll see in the appropriate time. So the father of glory, uh, father Abraham, the God of glory, appeared unto father Abraham. Then he moves in the history now from Abraham through to, I'll just abbreviate this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember, this is a trinity of men. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the only three men that God called himself the God of. Now, he is the God of Adam, he's the God of Elijah, he's the God of Moses, but never of three men does God ever say, I'm the God of, but he does say, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because this is a trinity of men, and that we could spend the whole night on the significance of that, because Abraham is the father, represents the father. He has the characteristics of the father God. Isaac has the characteristics of the only begotten son. Jacob, the third person of this trinity of men, he proceeds from the father through the son and is the anointer of Bethel with oil, the house of God. So I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So here we have three men, a trinity of men, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, characteristics in human form here. Then in verse, uh, the, the next one we proceed to, we go to the twelve, and the twelve sons of Jacob. So, those of you may remember from previous sessions where we've done this divine pattern of 31270, 31270, in the Older Testament and the New Testament church. So, we have now the twelve sons, all this shadowing forth, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and the twelve apostles, foundation. So he goes right, way back to the foundation of the nation. Now he jumps from these 12 sons and he picks out one son by the name of Joseph. 
I want you to listen to this, just keep this in mind here. Joseph, and as we read in that verse, and at the second time, uh, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kinman was made known unto Joseph. So uh, he gives uh, uh, quite a number of verses to Joseph. All right, you can put the appropriate verses there if you want to. All right, number five, the next one he moves to now, he goes way from Moses down to, uh, Joseph here, pardon me, way through to Moses. Now you'll notice what he's building here, Abraham the father, then there's trinity of men, the twelve twelve sons, of which the twelve tribes were named after the twelve sons, then he moves on to Joseph, so there's a whole progression of thought here as we see. Then he goes way from Joseph uh, down to Moses to the lawgiver, and uh, what the Lord spoke to him in the bush at Mount Sinai, and and, uh, when he was brought to the mountain. Then the next thing we note we are told about the church in the wilderness, referring to the nation of Israel, the old covenant church. The Lord is building the New Testament church, the new covenant church, but now we have the church of the Old Testament, which is referred to as the church in the wilderness. And it's the same Greek word, ecclesia, the ecclesia, the church. I will build my church. It's the same Greek word here. So Israel was the Old Testament church. So now we've moved from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, individuals, Twelve sons, individuals, Joseph an individual, Moses an individual. Now we go to the ecclesia of the church, the nation of Israel. Then as he continues on now, he moves from Moses through to the next major person in his panoramic here, speaking by the wisdom. Remember that Jesus said, when you are brought before the council, don't fear what you're going to say. I'm, I'm going to... Uh, the, the spirit of my father will be in you and he will give you wisdom and a mouth that they will not be able to gainsay. So now he moves from Moses, who was their prophet, and all prophets were tested by Moses, and now Aaron, who was originally their first high priest, the Aaronic line. So he's picking out key figures here. Then he moves on the next thing here to the tabernacle of Moses, and that's order. Moses, Church of the Old Testament, Church in the Wilderness, Israel, Aaron the high priest, and if there's a high priest, there must be a sanctuary for him to minister in. And so we have the tabernacle of Moses referred to. Then we jump way over those years of, uh, of certain books here. And you'll notice what we're covering here. We're covering Genesis, Exodus, and now we're coming into Leviticus, He's just covering whole books here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Covering whole books here. Now in number nine he goes way on to Joshua. Now he's going to the next book here, book of Joshua and Canaan land. How they were brought into Canaan land after the 40 years wandering, Joshua and Canaan land. Now from the book of Joshua he goes way down to the book of Kings. So he's just going through Old Testament history here. He goes down to the next major person in the history, and this is David. David the king, and we come now to the books of Samuel and the book of Kings, when David was king. So we have Moses the prophet, Aaron the priest, Joshua the captain, and now David the king. The next king he picks up is Solomon. Moves from David to Solomon, who built the temple. And in this passage here, he actually 
In fact, in this whole passage, he deals with the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David, the temple of Solomon, the three Old Testament structures in the Old Testament. Now, he goes way down, and I want you to turn over to uh, Acts chapter 7 here. Now, what I've done here, I've sort of woven together the message, his message, this is his message, and we'll see the method that's sort of woven throughout here. Let's go to uh, verse uh, 40, 47 then. Acts 7 verse 47. But Solomon built him an house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Now he gets to his altar call. You stiff neck. Now, you, you, you've sort of got to be in the setting here, don't you? You know, his face is shining like an angel. He's got all the counsel there, the Sanhedrin. Remember what we did with the Sanhedrin? The high priest and then uh, 24 scribes, 24 priests, uh, 22 elders, 70 in the Sanhedrin, and then all these false witnesses. And now he's getting to his older call, he's getting to his punchline. Poor Stephen, you see, he hadn't read that book, How to Win Jews and Influence Greeks in Six Easy Lessons. He hadn't read that book, How to Influence the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. So he says, you stiff-necked. Oh, I just feel so good about that. That's such a good word. I received that. Huh? Can, you see the, can you see the response in the council at this critical moment? Stephen, we so enjoyed your word, we're going to take up a love offering for you. Stones. <laughs> you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, you think of the words that he's using here. We've just moved through his message, but stiff-necked. Uncircumcised. Now, they're circumcised in flesh. Externally, Physically but they are not circumcised inwardly in heart or their ears. They're not hearing what the Spirit is saying. So, internal, and remember what Paul later on says, uh, he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, but one inwardly, and circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. So you've had this external circumcision of the flesh, covenant of circumcision, in fact, in verse 8, that's what he calls it. Uh, God gave to Abraham the covenant of circumcision. So they were in covenant relationship with God physically by external circumcision, but no new covenant circumcision of the heart. So this is a pretty hot word here. Uh, he, I mean, Stephen hasn't called anybody up now. I'd like you to come to the platform, the orchestra, and just play the piano softly, just as I am, without one plea. Now let's bow our heads, and if you want to respond, lift up your hand. The Sanhedrin aren't doing that. How many know that here? Things are getting pretty hot in the meeting. You do always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the fathers have not your persecuted? Now he's, his voice is getting pretty loud here and excited, because he knows that the meeting's coming to an end. You know. And so is he. Yes. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which show before the coming of the just one of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers who have re received the, dis uh, the law uh, by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now, 
got to watch my time here, but how many know that words in the Bible are very important? Now, I want you to, want you to notice something here. Just very, I'll have to touch it and then run away. In the Old Testament, we have laws concerning manslaughter. How do you spell slaughter? This chalk can't spell. <laughs> Always blame the chalk. Don't ever take the blame yourself. So we have laws concerning manslaughter and then we have laws concerning murder. Murderers. Murder. Now listen carefully here because he's speaking a word here because see when, when Peter on the day of Pentecost he uses a different word. So now here's the point. For those who were guilty of manslaughter, not willful slaying of a person, God provided six cities of refuge. Six cities of refuge. And listen to the language. I mean, the, uh, how many know that the Bible is inexhaustible? If a person was guilty of manslaughter, he could run to any of the cities of refuge and speak to the elders of the city of refuge and tell them what's happened and the elders were to receive him in but he was to stay inside the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. If he ever left the city of refuge and got out from under covering and the, and the, the person, the relative found him, the avenger of blood, he would be slaughtered. So for all manslaughter, there were cities of refuge. Now I understand a little bit of Hebrews who have fled for refuge to Jesus. See, our Western mind loses so much of this. But, for those who are guilty of murder, um, let me add one other thing. For those guilty of manslaughter, there was a city of refuge, there was a high priest, and there was a sacrifice available for them. Because it was not done willfully. And so when, uh, when Peter day, says on the day of Pentecost, you did it through ignorance, that you crucified the Lord of glory, ignorance, manslaughter. But I'm offering Jesus in his death, Jesus in his resurrection, is Jesus in his death and resurrection becomes the city of refuge. Jesus in his death is the sacrifice, in his resurrection is the city of refuge, and you can flee for refuge to Jesus, he's your high priest. So in his death he's the sacrifice, in his resurrection he's the high priest, and now in New Testament, the church is the city of refuge. How many are glad you found refuge in the church? House of the Lord. Safety under eldership. That's what the whole picture is. But for murder, there was no sacrifice, no city of refuge, but they were stoned. So he's very careful in what he's saying here. You are the murderers of the just one. You are the counsel that ordered Jesus to be crucified, got false witnesses. Now they're repeating the same to him. So that's the whole p uh, picture here. Now when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. We'll come back to that in a moment. So now I want to touch a little bit on the underlying method here. All right, everybody with me so far? I ask you a question. Thank you. Now let's read verse 13 again. And then we'll pick up something from here which the Holy Spirit seems to be underlying this whole passage here. And I'm just going to pick out some examples. In verse 13 
Uh, he's been talking about Joseph. Why don't we go back to verse 9 and lead into the section on Joseph. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. Now, I want you to pick up this thought here, because this is the pattern, this is, I believe, the Holy Spirit underlying here. First of all, we have what is implied here the first time. Okay, the first time. Joseph was known to his brethren. Now there's a certain pattern that happens to, I'm just going to pick out six of the men in this, uh, in this sermon here, that this pattern happens to. And it really, to me, it's exciting anyway. Are you excited about the word? All right, now, this is the picture. There are six men that are alluded to in this chapter, mentioned by name, and Jesus is not mentioned specifically by name, but the just one, and this is the pattern. Let's put them down. Joseph, when he came to his brethren, the first time was rejected. Now listen to the pattern. He was sent by the Father with a word to his brethren. What did his brethren do? They sold him for silver and he was rejected even though he was the sent beloved son called by the father sent by the father sent to his brethren but sold for silver 30 pieces of silver rejected. So first time and Jake, Joseph experiences what I refer to here as his Calvary experience, his Calvary. So, rejection. Years later, God causes a famine to come. And now his brethren come to him, and this time the brethren accept him but he's rejected the first time, but now he's accepted. And this is in his period of exaltation. And when Joseph was exalted to the throne, he was given a new name. And as Pharaoh proclaimed this new name over this beloved, rejected, soul for silver son, he said, bow the knee, bow the knee. And every knee in Egypt had to bow to this beloved, rejected, now exalted son. Now listen to the pattern again. In this period of rejection here, he got himself a Gentile bride. But in due time, his brethren, but it was the second time. Let's follow on. The next man that we have here is Moses. Moses follows the same pattern. 
He's called of God. He's sent of God. And Moses went down to his brethren and he thought his brethren would understand that he was called to be their deliverer. But they said to him, who do you think you are? You're going to kill me like you did the Egyptians left, like the Egyptian you killed yesterday? You buried him in the sand, left his feet sticking out? Huh? Who made you a judge and a ruler over us? So he was rejected the first time. And so Moses experiences his Calvary. And you th- how many th- you think the Bible was inspired? How many think the Bible could be inspired? In his rejection, what does he do? He gets a Gentile bride. Now we all know these are just here to fill up the book, don't we? Or do we? So he gets a Gentile bride. But 40 years later, God says to Moses, okay, now I'm going to exalt you. I want you to go down. And the second time, his brethren accepted him. First time rejection and humiliation after being called and sent of God. Then a period in which they get a Gentile bride. Second time, exaltation and uh, acceptance and reconciliation of the brethren. Let's go to number three. The third one that's mentioned. How many are seeing an underlying pattern here of this second time? The, the third one we have is Aaron. Aaron was called to be high priest. And he was rejected rebellion by Kor and company. And then God dealt with that. But in this case, his bride was to be a virgin. And this is very significant here. Uh, uh, the high priest was not to marry a widow or a divorced person or a profane person or a harlot. He was to marry a virgin of his own people. All pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ will not remarry Israel because the nation of Israel is widowed, divorced, profane, harlot. Jesus Christ is our high priest who's going to fulfill this. He is going to marry a pure virgin church. Everybody said amen? It would answer, if you listen to what I'm saying, it'll answer some of this Israel situation. Second time he's accepted as the high priest in Israel until the Lord uh, took him home. Now, as you realize, none of these are perfect men. God used imperfect men to shadow forth his perfect man. But Joseph, now, let's go to another one quickly. Our time is moving. Number four, this is interesting. Under Joshua and Canaan, he is rejected the first time. When he comes out, says, yeah, it's a great land. Let's go in and possess it. Caleb only stood with him. The ten spies, no, there's giants in the land. Joshua said, let's make giant hamburgers out of them. No, see? So Joshua is rejected. Forty years. Well, this is interesting. Forty years for Moses. Forty years for Joshua. Wandering in the wilderness. Second time, God said to Joshua, I'm going to exalt you now, and you're going to bring the people into the land that they rejected years ago. A second generation. So, rejected the first time, humiliated, 40 years wandering, second time. Listen to the next one here in the cause of his message. Number five, we'll just take two more here. David, as king, anointed by the Spirit of God with the oil from the prophet Samuel, 
And what happens? The soul system, like this whole synagogue system here, hunts David for years in the wilderness. Then in due time, after David's humiliation, rejection and anointing, his Calvary experience, the Lord brings him to the throne and the second time they accept him as king. Now how many see that uh, all this points to Jesus? Jesus fulfills all this. Jesus is our Joseph, our Moses, our Aaron, our Joshua, our David. All are shadows and types of him. All pointed to him. Jesus came the first time to his own. He came unto his own, as the rest of the verse say, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. And so the Jew today had the first coming of Christ and rejected it. There was a godly remnant that responded, but as a nation. And now what is Jesus doing now? Jesus is getting a Gentile bride. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is moving among the Gentile nations and there is a Gentile bride being formed in this period of rejection by the Jewish his brethren after the flesh. Gentile bride like Moses, Gentile bride like Joseph. And notice the comparison. Joseph sold for silver. In fact, in my own studies, I did a character study on Joseph and Jesus, and I've got 150 comparisons between Joseph and Jesus. I thought that would be enough to convince me. But Gentile bride. But how many know Jesus is coming back the second time? And the second time, his brethren will accept him. Let's turn quickly, our time's almost through. Let's turn uh, to uh, Zechariah. How many think this is exciting? Turn to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah 12 and verse 9. Listen to what, what is happening and what's going to happen as far as the Jewish nation will be concerned, but it's going to take place just at the second time, the second coming. Verse 9, It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And listen to the language now. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace, not the spirit of law now, the spirit of grace. So there's going to come an outpouring of the spirit. Once the Gentile bride is completed, come an outpouring of the spirit uh, of grace and supplication. And what's going to happen? They're going to look upon me whom they have pierced and they're going to mourn for him. Just like when Joseph's brethren came down and uh, Joseph didn't sort of let on who he was. But after a while he worked upon them to bring them to conviction. And they said, this is all because we sold Joseph. And Joseph took off his garments. He took them in the room. And he just wept. And he said, I'm Joseph, who you sold. And what a mourning and what a re reconciliation there was between Joseph and his brethren the second time. How many understand what I'm saying here? And they will look upon me whom they pierce and they'll mourn for him as one mourner for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the, inhabitant, uh, the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? 
Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Go back to Acts chapter 6, 7, just as we close. The second time. It'll help us to understand a theme that is through the Bible, like when God spoke to Jonah. When uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he went down into the belly of the whale, had a submarine ride, three days and three nights. And then when the fish got sick of a backslidden preacher and perked him out on the land, we're told the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and God said, preach the, uh, the preaching that I bid you, the original message. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, but he said, preach the original message. Now this theme is right through the Bible about the second time. Let me throw this one in quickly. The only feast that Israel was allowed to keep the second time was Passover. If they missed Passover in the first month because they were unclean and defiled and a long journey, they could have Passover the second time in the second month. Jewry rejected Jesus as the Passover lamb back here, first time, second coming, second time. They'll have their eyes open. Acts 7 as we finish. As Stephen finished off his altar call here, they took up stones to stone him. And the language is beautiful. Verse 54, uh, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. And it's not a pepsodent smile. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Does anybody remember what happened when Jesus ascended to heaven? Mark 16, yes, says that Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand and he sat at the Father's right hand. But now he's standing. He's standing to receive the first martyr. And the first martyr is a deacon. Anybody want to be a deacon here tonight? Uh, <laughs> like some response here? Uh, but he's standing. And you know that is really prophetic because in the book of Daniel, referring to Michael, but it says, before the second coming, there's going to be a time of trouble. And it says, at that time, Michael will stand up. Now I want you to close with this thought, significance. I'm sorry, every word means something. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. Now. He's making intercession for us. There's going to come a time when the Lord says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. My spirit will not always strive with man. There's coming a time when the Holy Spirit will cease to convict men. There's coming a time when the time of mercy will be over. And when Jesus comes back the second time, do you think he's going to come back sitting down? When Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to stand up. And once he stands up, he's standing up off the mercy seat. No more mercy. He gets on his horse and comes riding. And I'm going to be on my horse with him. How many with him? Can you say hallelujah tonight? He's standing to receive his martyr, first martyr here. But he's been sitting ever since because there's been a lot more. But in honour of the first martyr, the seed, the, what do we say, what's been said, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
Let's all stand. Father, we pray that you'll take the word that we've shared tonight. Pray, Lord, it'll not just be uh, information to our mind, but it'll be food to our spirit. You said man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. May this be food uh, to us spiritually, mentally, and to our whole being, Father, as we feed upon the glory of your inexhaustible word. Lord, your word's better than the newspapers, better than media, better than all the other junk that's fed into our minds, because your word is eternal. It's forever settled in heaven. May it be forever settled in our hearts. Bless your people until we gather again on the weekend in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said Amen. Amen. God bless you. Shake hands with each other. Look forward to seeing you on the weekend. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.